Galatians 4 is where we're going to be. I'm sorry. We don't, we don't have the lights work, the big lights working, but uh, we'll get it for next time. Um, as, you, uh, as we kind of ease into that, this last Wednesday we had our first uh, Wednesday night gathering uh, for our summer community groups and uh, went super well. And we'd love to have you come. It is, there's a meal that starts, we start serving it at 5, but it's serve yourself. So whenever you get off of work or whatever you can get over here at any point between 5 and 7.30, you're welcome just to come on in. And um, we'll start a, just kind of a, it's a back and forth. Um, I'll teach a little bit and then there'll be some table discussions. We do back and forth that starting at 6. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's entirely designed to help you get to know people that maybe you don't already know. In the church, and so if you've been looking for a way to connect relationally, to take another step into community, this is it's tailor made for that. That's why we're doing it the way that we're doing it, and so it's the the perfect entry point. And so uh, that'll be every Wednesday in June, and the last two in July. And so uh, if you weren't there Wednesday, come on out this Wednesday. The food was awesome. The d- discussions went super well, and uh, it was a really good time together. Last week we had uh, we had our you know, we have a church plant in Zachary and they were with us last week for kind of a commissioning of sorts. And, uh, I, there's this, this sentence that I've used and, um, kind of came out during all the planning about the union between the two churches. Uh, the sentence, it's a, a covenant family on mission together. And in all the sections of the proposal that went out to everyone and everything, that's how it all started is, uh, we want to like, we're going to be a covenant family on mission together. And how does that help? Like, how does, um, how do we do that in regard to all these different areas, but that we kind of kept coming, coming back to that and seeing how do we accomplish that together? Um, Wednesday nights are designed to help that family connect. Last week I talked about the mission, what it means to be, a, uh, on mission together, what it means to be an ambassador, uh, that we are Christ's ambassadors together and this morning, I want to focus on the first part of that, of a covenant family. Um, to, you know, the church is described a bunch of different ways in the Bible, you know. Um, sometimes the church is called the bride of Christ. Sometimes it's the people of God. Sometimes we're called sheep. Sometimes we're called a building or a temple or, you know, all these different things. But there's one term that that is, uh, that the idea of being a family, that's right. That's the amen you want right there. Uh, in terms of being a family, that is like that is one that I'm especially drawn to. And uh, when you when you hear the term family, some of you probably immediately immediately think like warm, wonderful thoughts because your family is great. You love your family. Others of you probably hear family and you immediately roll your eyes at your family members. And some of you you hear the word family and you get angry. Because your family is a source of pain. Um, and regardless of, of how you feel across that whole spectrum, you love the idea of family, you hate the idea of family, um, know that you're not alone. That there are people who feel the same way you do all across the room. And know that uh, that term has some baggage with it. It just kind of does. And, you know, there's a, um, the scriptures speak of families being formed in two different ways. A family is either formed through biology or it's formed through a covenant. So through biology is a, a, a man and a woman have a baby and that baby is family to mom and dad through biology. 
It's, it's, it's that, that blood DNA connection that's there. Um, but, but a man and a woman, though, who are, they're not related to each other. So how do they become a family? Well, through the covenant of marriage. So I have a, I have a brother who lives in North Ohio, and he and his wife, um, they, uh, like they had a baby a couple years ago named Amos, and he is a disaster. He is like in the best way. Like he's just breaks everything and they're coming here in a few weeks. And so we're trying to like Amos proof the house, you know? And, uh, but his dad did the same thing when he was a kid. So that's, um, it's predictable. So, so my brother's name is Drew. His wife's name is Catherine. Drew and Catherine, not related. They became a family when they got married. So covenant is how they are family, but biology is how they are family to Amos. And that's one thing that we see in the, in the Bible is like, that's how God set it up. He says, okay, everyone needs to be a part of a family and it's either going to happen biologically or it's going to happen through covenants. And when that happens, um, you know, the, the, the covenant is not only something that can happen between a husband and a wife, the husband can also happen between parents and children. So Drew and Catherine also, they have two other sons. And these, uh, they they fostered and then adopted these two these two kids who are brothers, and so their names are Landon and Hunter. So Landon and Hunter are family biologically, but they are family to Drew and Catherine through covenant through the covenant of adoption. So Amos is family to Drew and Catherine through biology. He is family to Landon and Hunter through the covenant of adoption. And so within that family, you have multiple examples of both, both ways that God makes a family. Um, a couple of examples of it being covenant and a couple of examples of it being biology. But they're just a family. That's not how, you don't break it down that way when you see them. You're like, okay, let me, let me figure out how you guys are connected. You're like, oh no, that's Drew and his family. That's how it works. Now, the Bible also says that there are two different kinds of family. There's your, like... I'll, I'll say nuclear family, but some of you are like, that's not the definition of nuclear family. Okay, I get that. Uh, but let's just say like your nuclear, fa- like the people that raised you. Okay, could be could be a mom, could be a dad, could be a mom and a dad, could be a grandparent, could be an aunt, uncle, whatever. Um, could be a, a number of, of, of folks. It could be a, a foster parent, any, whatever it is. Whoever it is that you call mom, you call dad, you call brother, sister, that immediate family that you grew up with. The Bible speaks to that being one of your families. But then there's another kind of family, and that is a spiritual family, and that is what Jesus introduces when he comes to the earth. He comes and he brings a new family option. He comes to say, okay, so you have this family that you, the ones who raised you, that you grew up with. You also have another family that I'm inviting you to be a part of. It's not saying you have to reject that family, um, so you can have two families. And so when we say a covenant family on mission together, that isn't just like a, like, Ooh, let's come up with a warm, fuzzy phrase, you know, let's come up with something that looks good on a poster. Let's, let's do something that's like, mm, yeah, let's amen that. But then, but it's empty. A covenant family on mission together. The idea of being a covenant family has roots in the Bible. That's where it comes from. So in Galatians, this is one of the places that we can look. So let's look in Galatians uh, just for a few minutes together. Let me read. We'll go one through six. 
I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So whether you love the term family or you hate the term family, no matter how, where you are on that spectrum, God calls us that. Like he's the definer of us. And I believe it's something that, that we can continue to receive deeply and to welcome in. Let's look a little bit clo- more closely at some of these verses. Look at, look at, one, or look at verse 3. It says, In the same way also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Okay, so in the verses leading up to this, just to kind of like pull it all together, um, Paul is talking about the law. You know, like the, like the Ten Commandments law that Israel was under. And he, he's speaking in terms of the law being a guardian to them. Saying that, that, the, that they're under a, a guardian. But then he says th- this verse, so I'm going to kind of work in reverse for a second. In verse 3, he talks about being enslaved to the elementary principles of, of the world. So, kind of think of, a, this is, I, I'm not using this analogy to make light of this. Just trying to get us in, this, in the same frame of mind. It's like a, think of like a child labor camp. Like a, um, when, from the beginning of our lives, we are born into enslavement to what he calls the elementary principles of the world. That's, that's, in other words, everything about us that is, that is driven, um, to make everything about us. It's self-reliance, it's self-exaltation, it's everything is about me, 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 me. Everything about you that thinks you're a better God than God is. That, so from the beginning of life, you're born into that mindset. So you don't have to teach a, a, a child to be selfish, do you, parents? You didn't teach them that. You're trying to teach them how to not be selfish. They're, just, they're automatically self-centered as kids. And I'm not, not disrespecting your kids, I'm just saying. So it's like we're, like to kind of like stay in this, just humor me for a minute. Uh, like we're born into this child labor camp, which do exist around the world. And we're enslaved, though, to that self-promoting uh, part of us and how the world works. And we really don't have a choice. So when you back up into verses 1 and 2, it says, I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Okay? So, when, if, if you were to, to take a run in, in, the, in, the, in the chapter 3 into this verse, he's talking about the law being a guardian. That, that God gave a law to, uh, to kind of put a governor, you know, like a limiter, on how uh, crazy sin was going to get among his people. Okay? So the Ten Commandments are there to accomplish a couple of things. They're there to um, 
one, to, to keep them from killing each other, like literally. So he's like, I got to tell you not to murder because that's what you're going to want to do. And so when you look at those commandments, he's trying to keep some parameters on sin running its course and destroying his people. He is training them in the ways of the kingdom of God. So in the kingdom of God, we do not murder. That's like a thing. Um, he is uh, trying to help them see that they need, they need uh, that the problem is on the inside, not on the outside. So he says, I'm going to give you ten rules that you cannot keep because you're going to keep trying and you're just going to fail. And so trying and failing over and over again for them to realize, like, man, we can't keep these rules. Maybe the problem isn't our behavior. Maybe the problem, problem isn't external. Maybe the problem is internal. He's like, yeah, I've been telling you that the whole time. And so it's, it, it's almost like, a, like giving the kids rules to follow because he's trying to train them, help them to expose something in them. And so he says the law was like a guardian. So for, because he used the, the idea adoption, let me, let me add to the child labor camp idea, also the idea of like, like an, an orphanage. So it's an orphanage where there's a guardian and I don't know about you, I grew up watching the movie Annie like a thousand times a week and drove my parents crazy. For some reason, I just really love that movie and I stand by it. I'm not ashamed of it. Um, in the movie, there's, the, there's all the, the girls in the orphanage and there's a guardian. Her name is Mrs. Hannigan. There you go. Played brilliantly by Carol Burnett. And I remember as a kid watching that movie... And I, it, I just couldn't get away from the fact there were kids that didn't have parents. Like it just, it blew my mind and it made me so sad every single time, which is why it made me very happy at the end. Spoiler, uh, Warbucks takes care of everything. So, um, but Mrs. Hannigan is the guardian. So she's there and she is setting the parameters. She's setting the rules. She's making sure that they have food and they have shelter and all that kind of stuff. And she is their guardian until they get adopted. So Paul is saying, okay, the law was like the guardian. Just making sure everything kind of stayed, like nothing got out of control. Everything was, was okay. It was giving them rules to follow to keep them from destroying themselves. Exposing their need for, for, like, for inner healing, not just outward healing. Um, that's what the law was doing. And it was under a guardian. And they were, but they were, it's like an orphanage in a child labor camp. These orphans were born enslaved. So there's the law. There's Miss Hannigan. You're in an orphanage. You're enslaved to self-centeredness. That that is the that is like was the reality. And so even to think about adoption, and to think about being, um, yeah, that's my favorite song. It just had, coincidence. Um. That's awesome. Okay. So adoption, the reality is that we had no father. When you think about those, those, those kids in the orphanage on Annie, and there's this once, there's this song where they're all, they're like sitting there and they're working because it was kind of a child labor camp the way that Hannigan ran it. And they're singing about like speculating on their adoptive parents, you know. Maybe he does this. Maybe she does this. They're dreaming of being adopted, of being freed from this situation. 
And I think that a, so this is a weird analogy, whatever, it's all fine. But I think that orphanage and a child labor camp idea, I think it's an important one for us. Because none of us were born outside of that orphanage. None of us were an exception to that. None of us were, um, well, that's it for all of us. And so what Paul is, is saying he, here, he's like, yeah, um, this guardian was there until verse 4. So look at verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So you and I and everyone that's ever been born was born into a child labor camp enslaved to self-centeredness under the guardianship of the law until we could be adopted. And verse 4 says that at the perfect moment, well, the fullness of time, that's what it means, at the very perfect moment, God wasn't late, he wasn't early, he wasn't distracted. He's like, no, this is the perfect moment. So God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So at the perfect moment, Jesus shows up at the labor camp orphanage. But he doesn't show up at the door. You know, he's not the adoptive parent who knocks on the door and says, I'm here, I'd like to, to adopt one of the kids in this orphanage. He doesn't show up at the door of the orphanage. He shows up. He's born into it. He's born into the orphanage. I've told a story before. There's, a, there's an orphanage in Johannesburg. It's called Door of Hope. And um, in, in Joburg, there, there was such a problem. People would just abandon babies. And uh, so kind of like uh, there's, you know, there's like the program here where you can bring a baby to a fire station or a police station, that kind of thing. This is similar, but it's called Door of Hope. And they have this, this wall around, around the orphanage. And in the, in the gate, there's a box and you, you put the baby in the box and you ring the bell and you close the door and you leave. And the bell goes off inside and the guardians of the orphanage come out and take the baby and it goes, and it goes through this whole process and they place babies with Christian families in uh, South Africa. And the idea is, you know, like here's this, this baby is brought into this orphanage and and the whole trajectory of that baby's life has changed in, the, in that moment, like going through the door of hope, like it's literally a door, it's literally a door of hope. But Jesus didn't even do that. He was born into the orphanage, into the, the child labor camp. But as he grew up with the other orphans, they were like, wait a minute, this, this guy is not enslaved the way that we're enslaved. We're all self-driven and he's about something else. It says that he was born of a woman, born under the law. So he's born under that law, and they're like, man, but he's, I mean, he's born into the same situation we were, but he's all about the Father. He's all about this kingdom. He's all about helping people. He's not about his own agenda. And even when we try to get him to be about his own agenda, he's like, no, that's not about my own agenda. 
There's something different about this orphan. Something different about his presence in the labor camp. And it says in verse 5, he did this to redeem those who are under the law. And so his presence in the labor camp, he starts to be like, hey, you want to get out of here? Like, we don't have to be here. You know that, right? You don't have to live this, this way. You don't have to live all about yourself. There is a, there's another option. And they're like, yeah, but, but we're orphans and we're in this labor camp. Like, what are we, how do we, he's like, I, I know the way. We're going to get adopted out of here. Then he keeps inviting them into this reality that's not only about redemption. As it says, uh, so to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption. He's like, not only can we get out of here, but we can have a family. Like, isn't that the longing of every orphan would be to have a family? I'm not saying that the movie Annie is the gospel, like the gospel truth bottom line of every orphan. But the fact that here's this song and all these kids are, they're longing for someone to knock on the door and look at you and say, come with me. Doesn't that make sense? If you were an orphan, wouldn't that be like the best thing that could possibly happen to you? And here's Jesus in the orphanage being like, y'all want to get out of here? I know the way. You can get adopted out of here. Not only can you be free from the enslavement of the labor camp, but you can also be adopted into a family. You can have, like, the nightmare can end and all your dreams can literally come true. That God is the one knocking on the adoption, uh, on the orphanage door. And He's the one saying, hey, uh, I'm going to set all this into motion to adopt all of these orphans. I'm here to bring all of you like home. And your home means that you no longer have to live for yourself. And you're not going to want to. At first you will. But the longer you're a part of this new family, the less and less you're going to want to live for yourself. You're going to want to live the way that Jesus, your fellow like orphanage like person, you know, he wasn't enslaved, you won't be enslaved either. It'll be more and more and more like him over time. And so the thought flow of the verse, look back at four, think of the whole trajectory of the story. Child labor camp, orphanage, until, verse four, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, okay, so born into the orphanage, to redeem those who were under the law so we might receive adoption as sons. In other words, to lead them out of there. And so having received adoption as sons, look at verse 6. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Family, if family is formed through biology and through covenant... That means that uh, it is like those, those things are equal. So to go back to my, my brother and his family, Drew and Catherine have three sons. Two of them were adopted. One was biological. All sons. All call him dad. All call her mom. All have... 
equal inheritance. All have as much right to call him dad as the other two. So if Amos ever looks at at Landon and says, you can't call him dad. He adopted you. He's not really your dad. He had me. He's my dad. Landon could knock him out and probably will. Because Amos would be incorrect. And what this verse is saying, look at verse 6. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You know what that means? It means you have just as much um, right to call the Father, Father, as Jesus does calling the Father, Father. He has shared that with us. He says, we're all heirs. Like, we are, we are brothers and sisters. Like, we are, there is a, a unifying beauty to what Jesus has done in adoption. He's not looking at us and being like, well, we just want to get you all out of the orphanage and stuff because it kind of made us feel better about things. No. He said, we want you to come into our family and, and we're going to spend all of your earthly life convincing you that you are loved as his son and as his daughter. Over and over and over again, because you're going to be really stubborn and it's going to be hard to get that through, like through to you, but we're going to keep at it. And one way we're going to keep at it is we're going to group all of you uh, sons and daughters together in these churches and we're going to have you gather steadily. And every time you get together, you know what you're going to do? You're going to remind each other of the goodness of the Father and, the, and how Jesus is a co-heir with you. And he calls you brother. He calls you sister. And we're going to beat that into your heads over and over and over again over the whole course of your earthly life to the point where you're going to get it a little bit more each time, each time, each time. And you may have some setbacks, but it's going to be fine. And then one day you're going to go on to glory and you're going to be like, ah, oh, he was right. It was all true the whole time. It may like these Sundays together may not feel like family yet to you, but they might. But they might not. It's only our sixteenth time to get together. Here's the here's the thing though: we are a covenant family because we have received adoption as sons and daughters. It has happened over time. That feeling, the emotional side of it, the relational side of it, that will solidify more and more and more and more and more. It will. But we are just catching up with our reality. We're not working towards that reality. We're catching up with that reality. And he looks at us and he's like, these are my sons and daughters that are gathered together. Uh, they're in Sherwood Forest as, as Living Hope. And they are a covenant family and they are on mission together. And with every Sunday, with every Wednesday, every small group Bible study, every encounter class, every community group, every time that we're together, it's like it solidifies a little bit more, a little bit more, and a little bit more. Our adoption was costly. There are a lot of people who would love to adopt, but it's expensive in our world. But there's never been an adoption more costly than yours and mine. And for him to do that for the world was significant. In the movie Annie, Daddy Warbucks has a lot of money. He could adopt a lot of orphans. He couldn't adopt the whole world. Nothing more costly than Jesus saying, you know what, the, the way out of the orphanage enslavement camp, uh, there's only one way out and it means i got to die. But I'll do it 
and I'll never regret it. And God the Father says, yeah, I'm going to send my son in there, and the only way for everyone to get out is for him to die, and I'm going to, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to kill him. And I'm going to raise him. And when I raise him, I'm going to raise them all. And when they're all raised, I'm going to gather them together and say, y'all ready? There's some people that are still in the child labor enslavement camp orphanage. There are people who just still don't know it. They don't know it. They can't figure out what it is. They're looking for it. I'm going to send you to them as my ambassadors. Now that we are sons and daughters, we're part of the family business is our business. It's our business. And we, now that we are sons, we are heirs. Verse 7 in closing, you are no longer a slave, but a son, if a son, then an heir through God. And that's another fist pump moment where we're like, you know what? I'm out of that orphanage. I am out of that enslavement camp and I will never go back. And by the grace of Jesus, I'll help others come out as well. And whatever it is I'm battling my way through right now, it's going to be fine because my dad has adopted me. And do you know who my dad is? Psalm 23 starts off, says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It is a boastful statement. Because of who my shepherd is, I will lack no good thing. I will, I will never be without. Because of who he is. And so as a covenant family, for us to just embrace it. And say, so, yeah, we're on a pretty amazing journey together. I'm so glad to be in this with you guys and to be getting to know you and hopefully you getting to know me. And so, th- so that feeling of family can solidify. Yeah, it's, it's going to keep going, but the reality has already been taken care of. And so as we respond to this in, in singing and in praying and in receiving communion and uh, through giving, like those are the kind of the rhythms that we go through in response uh, all of them are ways that we can show God, hey, I, I'm, I'm paying attention to what, what the Word says. I know that I'm your son. I know that I'm your daughter. When you receive communion, like if you want to receive communion today, if that would be helpful for you to take the bread and to dip it into, into the cup, what you're saying is, this is what got me out of the orphanage. This is what got me out of the enslavement camp. This is what sustains me and keeps me going. If you need to come and pray, these steps will be open. If uh, some of our staff will be here at the front, if you want to talk with someone about whatever may be going on, um, we're going to sing a little bit. We're just going to kind of do this thing, and you are welcome to jump into any of those things. And if you just want to say yes to what Jesus is doing, Jesus has already said yes to you. All right, let's stand together as the band comes back as we close in these couple of minutes together. Jesus, what a, what a gift you are to us. You didn't have to be born into the orphanage. You didn't have to be born enslaved. You didn't have to be... Um, you didn't have to go the way that, that you did. I don't, I don't guess. I don't guess. But you said yes to it. You were part of dreaming it up. And so long before we were aware of any of this, you had already said yes to us. And so we want to say yes to you. And so whether praying or singing or receiving communion or tithing or whatever it may be that helps us to communicate that to you, to convey that to you, we, want to, we just want you to know that we, um, we are grateful. 
And Father, that we look at you and we like we may not get it fully, but you're, thanks for being patient with us and for leading us one step at a time to realize the, the beauty of what it means to be redeemed and to be free and to be a part of not just any family, your family. And so we as heirs, as sons and daughters, we will give these next few moments to you in closing um, to tell you that we love you and that we are grateful. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, the tables are open. Let's just respond as you feel led.